All right, so I am privileged to be here to lead the group today. My name is, most of you know me, but just in case you don't, I'm Andy Darty. Um, I've, uh, uh, we've, we've been in this area for, you know, 30 plus years, my wife and I, but we've been at this church uh, for over 22 years. Uh, we love McDonough Christian Church. Um, my occupation is I'm actually a, a training program manager and we keep the lights on. Um, so I'm, I'm behind the uh, electric uh, municipal uh, or member services groups, the little EMCs that are all around Georgia. I work at the control center in Tucker. So that's what I do. Um, but I wanted to introduce myself. I wanted to also talk about how I have, two, I have a wife and two children. Uh, Matthew, uh, my son, he, he is a member here. Um, uh, many of you know him. He's done some electric work for some of you. Um, and I also have a daughter named Amy. She lives in Norcross. Well, I'll be talking about her. So Trent asked me to do the, the Bible study and then a short testimonial today. So that's kind of where we're going uh, with this. So if you will turn in your Bibles, we're going to go through Mark. Uh, a couple of chapters in Mark. I want to really quickly just kind of do an orientation. Context is so important. So we're going to do like a scan through parts of chapter 1, 2, and the beginning of 3. And then where we're going to rest, where we're going to actually land, if you will, is chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, and chapter 3, verse 31 through 35. So that's where we're going. But to get there, I just wanted to kind of quickly go through a couple of things that I think are super important so that we understand what's going on here when we get to um, the main verses we're going to talk about. So if you look at Mark, I'm not going to, we're going to read just a few verses through here. But if you look at Mark chapter 1, you know, John the Baptist is, is um, you know, he, he is this, this wonderful prophet who is acclaimed and people are following him. At the end, or like around verse 9, we see that Jesus is getting baptized by John the Baptist. And after that, Jesus really explodes on the scene. And of course, we have the advantage of living, you know, in the 21st century, looking back on it. But just today, I'm going to challenge you to really think about what it must have been like to live in those little villages, you know, that where, where Jesus, this great rabbi, is coming on the scene. And they are not expecting it. It's really unexpected what he's going to do. So a couple of things I want to point out to you. Uh, look at chapter 1, verse 21. You know, they went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath day came, Jesus went into the synagogue. This was one of the messages that Trent delivered, you know, weeks ago. Um, he comes in and, and there is this man who is demon possessed and he drives him out, right? Drives that demon out. So this is happening and it's, it's really, this is making Jesus more and more um, known in the area. So, um, so that's, that's a miracle. You know, word's going to get around about that. He's healing people with fevers and other sicknesses. Look at chapter 1, verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into, uh, with James and John to the home of Simon. And Andrew and Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about it. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up and the fever left her and she began to wait on them. Look what happens in verse 32. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon possessed. So what do you think this is doing to Jesus's acclaim? You know, he was this person that was unknown, you know, months ago. And all of a sudden he's just exploding on the scene, right? So Verse 45 is key. So I'm in chapter 1, verse 45. Jesus has just healed a man of leprosy. And look at verse 45. Instead, you know, he told this guy, hey, don't tell anybody. Let's keep this. You know, Jesus is telling this man he just healed. Let's keep this quiet. Look at verse 45. Instead, he, the leper, 
former leper, <laughs> went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. There are prophecies about the Messiah all through the Old Testament. And a couple of them specifically say that the Messiah, this great Jewish prophet is going to come and he's going to draw all people to him. So Mark is beginning to show the, the reader that's what's happening here. Jesus, this man, is drawing people to him. And then obviously what's going to happen is he's going to get the attention of the authorities. So real quickly, uh, other things that happened is his teaching really boiled, you know, just kind of bowled people over. They couldn't believe his teaching. In chapter 2, verse 12, it says, we have never seen anything like this before. So Jesus is just really, as I said, I don't want to overstate this, but he was just exploded on the scene. So word is going to start getting back to his family about this. And word is going to start getting back to Jerusalem. You know, Capernaum is, if you looked at a map, I kind of wish I had a map here, but if you looked at Capernaum, it is at the top of the, the Sea of Galilee. So there's this little, it's like a big lake. And then there's the Jordan River. And then at the bottom is the Dead Sea. It's a huge body of water. And Jerusalem is closer to the Dead Sea, but it's 100 miles. And the reason why I'm telling you this is gonna, it's kind of going to matter about our story. Jerusalem is 100 miles from Capernaum. That's where Jesus kind of sets up his ministry at this fishing village at the top of the Sea of Galilee. Well, where's he from? He's from Nazareth, which is, if you're looking at me, it is west uh, and southwest of that, it's 20 miles. Now, they don't have any highways. They don't have any way to get around other than walking. So you can imagine people are coming a long way. It says in chapter 2 that people are coming from all over. Um, actually, that's in chapter 3. Um, anyway, so anyway, I wanted to kind of get through a couple of things to kind of set this up. If you look at some other passages, he's calling his first disciples in chapter 1 which is uh, James and, and Simon and Andrew. These are fishermen. But if you look in chapter 2, he's calling Levi or Matthew. Look at chapter 2, verse 13. Jesus went beside the lake. A large crowd came to him. He walks up to Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting it as a tax collector, and he says, follow me. So he's bringing together also, he's choosing his disciples from a variety of of uh, backgrounds. So I want to get downtown to our focus passage. I don't want to waste too much time or spend too much time on the uh, context, but look at chapter three. Getting into chapter three, the crowds are continuing to follow him. Look at chapter three, verse four. Then Jesus asked, he's talking about the Sabbath, you know, um, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remain silent. There's this man who is who needs to be healed, right? And Jesus has got a shriveled hand. Is Jesus is saying, should we heal him today or not? And they're saying, well, it's the Sabbath day. That would be work. And Jesus is going, well, should we do good or evil on the Sabbath? So look at verse 5. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed that their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched out his hand. And he was completely restored. So one of the things I want to mention about this, one of my favorite books is Philip Yancey, The Jesus I Never Knew. And he makes a comment in there that stuck with me. And I've actually heard Trent, I think, quote this uh, from the pulpit. He says, um, 
Jesus is not this Prozac Jesus that walks through this life unaffected by emotions, unaffected by people's situations. He is a loving, caring person that, that, has, you know, that feels deeply and has all this compassion. So he looks around at them and he's angry that they won't say, of course, heal this man. So he looked around with them in anger. He heals him. Look at the next verse, verse 6. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they may kill Jesus. These are the religious leaders. They want to kill Jesus for what? Healing a man on the Sabbath day. So the cast is set. There's this tension between Jesus who's doing all these good things, but he's breaking the traditions. And we have the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and they're coming against him to say, you cannot break our traditions, right? So that's what's happening. So now let's get to the, the main focus of what we're going to talk about. Look at chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. So chapter 3, verse 20, word has gotten to Jesus' family about this. It says, uh, then Jesus entered a house and again, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. I want you to think about this. We've been studying in Hebrews on Sunday morning how Jesus came in the flesh. He felt what we felt. And now we get to see an example where Jesus knew family conflict. And so in this situation, what does the family do when they discover that Jesus is doing all these things? Do they come and join his ministry? Do they come and try to make sure that the authorities are not, you know, attacking Jesus? What do they do? They craft a plot. They make a plan for literally a family intervention. Isn't that what we do with someone who's an alcoholic? We need a family intervention here, guys. This guy is making us look crazy. He's crazy. And so that's what's happening. But, you know, we, you know I, I laugh about it. We all laugh about it. But Jesus is a man who has great compassion. He has feelings just like us. And now... His family is plotting to come. One of the translations says they wanted to lay hold of him. And another one said they want to take custody of him. Some of the commentators said that they were concerned that Jesus might bring reproach on the family. Jesus was an embarrassment to his family. And he's doing his ministry. So I want to kind of let that sink in. We already talked about where this is happening what Mark is about to do is he's going to use a literary uh, tool called uh, bookends. And he's going to mention this, that the family has heard about it and they plotted to come and get him. And then he's going to talk about something else for a minute. And then at the end, he's going to say, well, now they arrive. So, you know, spoiler alert, they're going to arrive. So the idea here is it's almost like today with our TV shows. You know, you're, you're in one scene and you're seeing these, this interaction between these two or three characters and then at the same time, they cut to another scene. And that's what Mark is going to do. He's letting you know, hey, the family's heard about this. They're on their way. They live in Nazareth. Nazareth is 20 miles away by foot on country roads <laughs> that don't go straight like an interstate. So you can imagine it's going to take them four hours to get there. 
And so uh, I wanted to kind of point that out as well. So before we get into chapter 3, um, verse 31, I want us to also think about, um, you know, just imagine what Jesus is feeling. He has been on the road healing people in all these different towns. People are coming to him from all, all these different places. What, what do you think he experienced when he's around a lot of people? Is that something that usually uh, is something that's not going to drain your energy and increase your energy? Or is it going to decrease your energy? <laughs> he's going to be drained with all these people, right? And he's healing them as he goes. So um, one of the things about this is he is 100% man. He is 100% God. But even though that is true, he's getting fatigued. Now his family is on their way. And it mentions, what did it mention in verse 20? He couldn't even eat for hours at a time, right? So he's physically going to be hungry. Now I want you to look at chapter 3, verse 31. It says, um, chapter 3, verse 31. Then, oh, in the middle here, I'm sorry, in the middle, what happens is these people arrive, these Pharisees, scribes, and teachers of the law arrive from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a hundred miles away. These guys are so motivated that they are traveling for days just to get to Jesus, just to debate him and to grill him. So you can imagine the kind of tension that he's going to deal with. And they're going to accuse him of being demon possessed. So that's just in the middle of these two bookends. Now we get to the second bookend that Mark has. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrive. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call, in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, Jesus, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Hold on. This is the Middle East. Jesus is a rabbi. What do you think they're expecting Jesus to do when his family arrives? How important is family to a rabbi and to a Jewish man in ancient Israel? It's pretty important, isn't it? So they're looking at him going, your mom is outside. She's asking for you. Your brothers are outside. They're asking for you. He's surrounded by all these people. They're expecting him to react. So I just feel like there was this pregnant pause right here. And I just want to remind you of the culture. So look at what Jesus does. Verse 33, who are my brother and who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. And another translation in the Mark parallel, I mean, Matthew parallel, it says he motions with his hand and he says, he looked at those that were seated in the circle around him and he said, here are my brother, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And you can just imagine that would have just been... <gasps> There would have been kind of some gasp there about the fact that he did that. Now, I don't want you to think that he's just disowned his mom and his brothers. He said, who are my relatives? Who is my family? And he's saying, whoever does the will of the Lord. So instead of disowning his family, he just expanded his family and basically said, you are my family. So I think that's a very important thing. And he used a really broad term, whoever. Uh, that same term is used in one of the most famous passages in the Bible. 
John 3.16, whoever believes in him, right? So it's a very broad term. So uh, one of the things I wanted to mention is that um, there's, we, in this men's Bible study, we've been talking about what are the masculine traits you see in Jesus as he is going through, as we're going through Mark. One of the masculine traits that I see in him is his independence. I don't know what they expected a grown man to do when his mother's at the door calling him. And it's kind of an embarrassing situation, right? I mean, imagine yourself in that situation. You're in the middle of doing something really important and your mom is, you know, calling you on the phone or, you know, knocking on the door. Mom, you know, how would that make you feel? I mean, that, that would undercut your masculinity. Jesus doesn't let that happen. Jesus says, well, who is my family? This is my family. You, you know, whoever does the will of the Lord. Um, and another thing is another masculine trait that I think that Jesus is showing is his sense of agency, which is kind of a fancy term for he's on mission. He's not going to deviate from his mission. His mission is I have a, I'm on a mission from God. Right. And I am going to do this no matter what. Come hell or high water. I am doing this. And so I think that's important. He is driven to complete his mission. So what I'd like to do now, um, again, emphasizing that, that Jesus understood family conflict. He felt family conflict. There are other passages like this. There's a passage in John 7 that says that his brothers are seeing that he's doing all these miracles, uh, but he's doing it in Capernaum or he's doing it in Nazareth, which is like, you know, South Alabama, right? They're doing it far, far away from all the... And he's saying, well, why don't you, why don't you go do this in Jerusalem? Are you going to go to the feast? Why don't, you just, why don't you do that so people can really see who you are? And there's sarcasm. And, so it, and at the very end, the Apostle John says, even his own brothers didn't believe in him. I mean, think about that, guys. He grew up with James and Jude and his brothers and sisters, and they didn't believe in him. John makes a point of that. Later in, Matthew, or in Mark, in chapter 6, when Jesus does go to Nazareth, his hometown, and he's, he's brought into the synagogue and he's teaching and everything, and he's, he's performing some miracles, but it says that the people of the town were offended. They go, isn't this Jesus Joseph's son, isn't he a carpet? Isn't this a blue collar guy? What does, he do? what does he think he can do to tell us about faith, about religion, about God? And they were offended. And Jesus responds and he says, only in a man's own hometown. But he also adds, and in his own home is he not respected. And I was just like, Jesus understands family conflict like nobody else. His own family were embarrassed by him. His own family didn't believe in him. So Trent also asked me to use this time for a testimonial. So I think I'm doing good on time. So um, I want to share a testimonial about my personal story. So I grew up in a very legalistic, dogmatic um, church. I grew up, um, and, and you know, this church was very judgmental and oppressive. You know, you only read the King James Version. You had to dress up to go to church. There were dress codes. Um, after we were adults and still trying to go to that church, my wife and I were kind of lay ministers. We weren't paid, but we were leading vacation Bible school, and my wife had the audacity to wear shorts to vacation Bible school. 
And we got, I'm not kidding, guys, we got called on the carpet. The elders asked to see us one night, and we had no idea what we were in for. And it was like an inquisition. And I just remember thinking, I, I can't believe that my wife can't wear shorts to a kid's vacation Bible school. Um, but I'm just letting you know, this is the kind of church that I grew up in. And at some point, you know, I, I decided, you know, in being an independent man and deciding these things, I decided, you know, we're not going to continue to go to this church anymore. So we, we joined the Christian church. Well, my extended family are all part of this church, right? Um, and when we left, I was considered, a bit, you know, I had betrayed the family. They even used the phrase, Andy's left the church. That got back to me that I had left the church. And so I became an embarrassment to my family. There was a certain coldness that they had towards me at family reunions and things like that. In the past, when I was a, a teacher and a, a lay minister in the church, they would ask me to pray. They would ask me, you know, they would have conversations with me about, about church, about religious things. Now, like, you know, I'm the redheaded stepchild. So um, I'm rebellious. I mean, if you, if you can imagine that, I'm the rebel. So anyway, that's, that's one part of my testimony. But, you know, I've grown to, uh, it's still this way today. Um, after 25 years of being in the Christian church, um, when we have family reunions, it still feels that way. But I've, I've grown accustomed to that, and I'm, I'm good with it. I, I, I would do it all again. I would do it all again. The Christian church, the, there's no grace in this church that I came from. There is grace here. You know the rest of the story, but go to Acts chapter 1 for just one second. Acts chapter 1. Hidden in the beginning of Acts, after Jesus has died and been resurrected, um, we get the, another bookend, if you will, and we find out that something happened. Jesus understood family conflict, but something great happens here. In Acts chapter 1, verse 13, around there, it goes through all these different people that are now you know, waiting on the next thing to happen. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait. Goes through all the different apostles that are still part of the group. And in verse 14, it says, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So the good news is in the end, James, Jude, Jesus' brothers did believe in him at the end. We all have that choice. And that's what happened in the end there.